0: Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love
1: sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their
0: journey from feeding tube to family table. Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Tube to Table podcast, Getting Real About Reflux. I'm Jenny, and I'm joined as always by Heidi Moreland. Hi, Heidi. How are you? Hi, Jenny. Things are good there? They are. They got cold. I've (laughs) broken out my winter sweaters. You you guys can't see, but Heidi has this brand new sweater on that I just noticed. It's gorgeous. (laughs) But yes, the winter has arrived here as well. It is, and the dogs won't go outside. They look
1: at me like I'm an idiot when there's
0: like a
1: dusting of snow.
0: But but we're okay. We're we're plugging along here. Oh, good, 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 good. I know it's always an adventure for parents too when things get a little bit cold outside, but they'll adjust. They'll they'll get used to the temperatures and their jackets. That's our big thing right now in the house. It's like you've got to put your jacket and your hat on, and that is not going over wants very that. well, right? So, well, today we're talking about reflux, and the reason that we're talking about reflux is because uh, twofold, really. Reflux affects a lot of children before their tubes or along with the conditions that made the tube um, necessary. And it also has a huge impact in both the decision and the process of weaning and transitioning to oral eating. So it's one of the few things that kind of continues to come up at all phases of this process for kiddos and their families. And so we thought it might be helpful just to talk briefly a little bit about reflux and tube use and kind of what is known and what guides practice out there for the medical providers that we work with and Heidi and I were talking yesterday a little bit about reflux and Heidi was just pointing out something that I thought was really helpful about the guides like the overall um guides that physicians use to guide decisions about treatment and Heidi what were you saying you were saying that there is a limited amount of yeah, information when i
1: well it's funny because when i was at the children's hospital um, and was doing all feeding in the children's hospital like many of the therapists that y'all know out there um, it reflux was a was a a problem that was kicked back and forth i would say kids aren't eating because of reflux and the gi doctor would say i'm treating it to the best I can, so you need to make meat anyway. And so it was this thing that got pushed back and forth and it made me look up the guidelines um, that they use to treat reflux. And when I was going through, I noticed that there's lots of different subheadings. There's treating reflux in infants, treating reflux in children, treating reflux with asthma, you know, lots of different things, but there was nothing that said reflux with feeding tubes. So I started looking around on feeding tube use and it may be out there, but I wasn't able to find it. So it's something that when the decision to put in a tube because of reflux is clinical judgment of a doctor trying to do the best that they can, and the way to treat reflux with the tube also appears to be a case-by-case basis. There doesn't seem to be any guidelines that guide that um, for physicians, and so they're always trying to figure out what's best for your child. There isn't a magic
0: bullet out there or a magic guideline. I thought that was really helpful to kind of remember because, and it's reinforced by the fact that at Thrive by Spectrum Pediatrics, we get kids from all over the country and some from from other countries that come to us and no two children, despite their age or similar kind of diagnoses, has the same treatment for reflux. And so I think it's just good to keep in mind that there are a lot of right answers and that Mm -hmm. there probably are also a lot of, not wrong answers, but answers that may not work for your child.
1: And when you look at the guidelines, there is something, so there's a number of tests that you can do to determine if kids have reflex or not. Some of the tests are actually a little bit tricky um, and a little bit more invasive. And it's also okay to treat with medications. And if the medication makes it better, then that was the answer.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, we Sometimes complain, that's how it's
0: diagnosed, right? Like they right, treat. that's how it's
1: diagnosed yeah. is by the treatment. And that is acceptable just because the tests are not great for it. Um, You know, it's funny because even at the children's hospital then, there was a big practice with, uh, you know, 8 to 10 GI doctors. And um, they admitted that every single one of them approached reflux a little bit differently. Every Mm -hmm. one of them would do a differing number of tests, um, start with a different kind of medication. They all had their go-tos that they thought worked better. So even within one practice in one city, there was a lot of differences in the way they approached the question of reflux.
0: Yeah. And so... One of the things that that brings to mind for me is that just to put a slightly positive spin on this, you know, we know that m- most physicians know there's no, they wish there was like a clear cut path, I'm sure, um, for treating reflux across the board. And because there isn't one, you know, it's, it's room for conversation. And much like everything else that we talk about on this podcast, you Our advice isn't to, as you guys know, at our program, we we only work with physicians. We don't work with families. If their physician isn't on board, we play a big role in getting them on board and collaborating so that we can reach consensus and make the best plan to keep a child safe. But this advice isn't to replace their opinion. It's to start a conversation. And if this is true, what we know to be true is true, which is that there isn't a state like one-size-fits-all kind of approach or standard of care for treating reflux in um, kids with tube feet or feeding tubes that's just a window that's just an opportunity Mm -hmm. to start a conversation whereas some other things where there is more of like you know a precise kind of structured way of handling things you're going to have less wiggle room but this this isn't one of them Um, so that's I think helpful to keep in mind One of the things that comes to mind, Jenny, when you say about
1: starting a conversation, I think that's a great point, is to remember that pediatricians and specifically um, even more so GI doctors treat many, many, many different things. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of kids with reflux that they call happy spitters Mm -hmm. because they puke all day long and they're just happy. They eat, they're fine. It doesn't seem to bother them Um, and that there is a subset of kids for whatever reason that have a lot more difficulty because of reflux. So then even kids with reflux are different. And the perspective of a doctor might be, well, they're okay because they don't have, you know, some of the other really um, significant diagnoses that require surgery and some of these other things. So if they're okay with that, that's not as alarming to them as it is for you who lives with it all day long and lives with the irritability and lives with throwing up and lives with the discomfort. And so remembering that you're approaching this from two different perspectives may be helpful in framing that conversation. Yeah.
0: And um, so just th- this might seem obvious to the listeners as parents of 2 Fit kids. It's obvious to Heidi and I as therapists who love 2 Fit kids and work <laughs> with them and help them become eaters. But when children associate eating or having a full belly in the case of getting a tube feed (laughs) with the symptoms that come with reflux, it's a negative association. And just like Heidi said, some kids may experience it as flat out pain and discomfort and other kids may experience it just merely as the act of either spitting or vomiting or having that gurgling up into the back of their throat, even if it's not coming out. But in any case, I think we can all agree safely that that's not a positive association. And in 99% of the cases that we see, it's, it's negative or at the very least a confusing association. And so if you imagine that this road to weaning, the main goal is for kids to learn to trust, enjoy, and understand food. If reflux is A not controlled or being, or B being considered, then we have an issue because we know that it is associated with things that are not going to kind of add to the positive association we need them to have in order to become eaters. And so so what we and then we have some really interesting data coming out of our program that I'll be honest, um, neither of us or anyone in the program really expected to see. At just a quick newsflash, though all of you know this, we are not GI doctors. <laughs> and so that's probably why our brains didn't even go to like thinking about what this data would look like. But the really shocking data that's coming out of our program is that nearly 100%, and which is, I, I don't like using the word, I don't like saying 100% because it seems insane and it seems unreliable, but nearly 100% of the kids in our program, more than 95% of the kids have an improvement in their symptoms of reflux, vomiting that may be associated with reflux, if that was present beforehand. And the majority of those kids can either go off of medication or, or if they don't have a decrease in their medication, because there are a few kids that continue to need it, though they're very, very few. Um, that their quality of life is so much better because those Mm -hmm. reflux symptoms are, are being controlled. And so when we share that data with, with parents, obviously it's very, it's exciting. You don't, nobody wants to see a little buddy, a little, a little one struggling with that. But when we share it with doctors, it kind of is a little bit of an eye opener. It's, it's, um, it's really interesting to think about. And so that gets us to some of the research that's out there about the tu- about tubes and reflux. And Heidi, I know you know a little bit about the data that's out there and how reflux plays into tube feeds.
1: When you, now these are kids who, so there's studies that look at the, the downsides of getting a feeding tube. Um, and most of them are looking for um, really significant things like fistulas, you know, holes that don't close, tubes that are, you know, scar tissue, life-threatening um, stuff. Yeah. Life-threatening kinds of complications, and in those they they look at major complications, which would be those, and then minor complications is how it's usually classified, and reflux is almost always mentioned as a minor complication mm-hmm. in Depending on the numbers, anywhere from 60 to 80% of kids, specific NG tubes are a little bit worse. So, they, you know, like 95% of kids or 85% of kids who get an NG tube are expected to have an increase Mm -hmm. um, in reflux, which most parents will tell me nobody ever told them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, or maybe they did and it was in a list of a whole lot of other things. And people were so concerned about nutrition for their child, they understandably went right past that because you don't know what that's going to look like. But even G tubes, are shown to have an increase in retching, vomiting, and reflux Mm -hmm. um, when the tube goes in. And I, I think it's a minor complication in terms of surgery, but it's a major complication for families and children. because it's uncomfortable and And, you can't go anywhere and they throw up in your car and restaurants and friends' houses.
0: (laughs) And even if it's not coming out of their mouth, it's not a pleasant thing as anybody, it's not a pleasant association. And so just a quick sidebar here. This, there are several, several, a large portion of children who are really struggling with vomiting and reflux on NG tubes who get a G tube and do remarkably better. So we don't want to undermine, um, the reality of that being true. But if we look at the general population, there is, um, reflux is mentioned as a potential side effect frequently in the literature for both G tubes and NG tubes and, um, Which isn't necessarily to suggest that the tube's causing the reflux, um, but there's definitely a correlation if you kind of tease out the research, um, if you look at it. And that's supported by this kind of remarkable finding in our internal data at Thrive Mm -hmm. by Spectrum Pediatrics, which is reflux symptoms dramatically improve when children transition from tube feeds to oral feeds. And of course, that's after readiness has been determined and a lot of work has been done. It's not an overnight thing, like you stop feeding them in the tube and the reflux is finished, but it's it's interesting and compelling nonetheless.
1: And what's interesting about that is that that is true for kids who got the tube with reflux as one of the major reasons for not eating and tube use, which is intriguing and we can only... Guess at some of the explanations for kids who had reflux, caused a tube, got a tube, and then when the tube was gone, the reflux was mostly gone. I -hmm. think age can be a part of that, posture, postural stability, and trunk control, and some of those things. But I think that's just a very interesting finding that I don't think we can fully explain on why some of that goes away when the tube is no longer being used.
0: Yeah. And we're going to, we'll link to some of this research in our show notes. But the main reason that we're sharing with this, this with you isn't because we want to do a lit review or we want you to go through all of the research, though if you want to, go for it. Um, the main reason is just to say reflux can hinder a child's ability to transition to oral eating. And if you feel that your child's reflux is not being con- a, a controlled well or is being controlled but is still... Present, you know, is being better controlled, but is still present. That can be, should other met readiness criteria be met, a really compelling reason to not wait to get the child mm-hmm. off the tube. You know, knowing that reflux can improve. A lot of doctors will say
1: that kids can't come off of the tube until the reflux is controlled. And what we're saying is that the reflux might not be controlled until you're off. The child is off the tube, so it's a cyclical. It's a chicken and egg kind of question
0: mm-hmm. um which is difficult to break out of yeah it is but it's possible it's, we do it all the time we ta- have those conversations and um get kids away from it yeah so just a quick note just for those of you that are not you know imminently weaning your child like next week off the tube or you're not in the middle of a wean right now or you're not scheduling one tomorrow or something like that and your child is experiencing reflux. One of the, two of the really common things that we see um, being overlooked in the reflux in the treatment of reflux in children, we don't know much about the medication. I mean, we know their names and what they're used for, but we're, you know, we're not experts at all in the medication. The two stuff, the two major mistakes that are more kind of functional things that happen to children that have tubes that are experiencing reflux that's that from our perspective are mistaken. Are problems or, um, you know, non ideal recommendations about the density or richness, mm-hmm. if you will, of tube feeds. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. And then the other one is the amount, the overall volume of the feeds. So, how much your kid is getting and how rich what they're getting is. Those are the two issues. So, I'd like to talk to people before they talk to their doctors a little bit about if you know an adult that has heartburn, which is, again, a really oversimplification of what reflux is. But what do they tell you? Don't eat a ton, don't eat huge portions, and don't eat stuff that's super, super rich. Those are things that are going to be more likely to trigger an outburst. Plus, Yeah. Well, I'll save the liquid piece for just a moment. And then the other thing, so, so those, we have, we have a ton of kids come to us who are really struggling with reflux, who are being fed calorically, really dense, fortified supplementation by tube. And that is counter to how we would treat reflux in most other settings. Right. I think
1: the the reasoning that I often hear is that they feel that kids can't tolerate a higher volume, so they're making it more dense to get the same number of calories in more quickly in a more dense fashion. And mm-hmm. what we're finding, Jenny, is what you're saying, right, is that mm-hmm. it's the denseness, not the volume
0: right, that is causing it, it, the problem. Yeah, In some of those cases. Exactly. And 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 that isn't a, you know again this isn't to replace the opinions of your dietitian or your um GI or pediatrician that's helping you on this journey, but it's to say, hey, can we talk about this? Because this feels like it's a lot, (laughs) or this feels like it's really packed with nutrition. The other problem with really highly fortified, just as a sidebar, with really highly fortified, meaning um, a lot of calories for a little bit of volume, the reason that that can sometimes be problematic also is that it's been shown over the long term to have a negative impact on a child's weight, to, to impact, to impair their ability to gain weight in recent research in the last couple of years. And so that's another consideration to keep in mind. The other side of it, is overall volume. So parents are told by a medical team that they need to get X number of calories or mls, let's say mls or ounces in their child a day. But that same child is vomiting seven times a day. What we have seen often, not always, but what we see very often is that if you give a child less so that they're more comfortable, they gain weight at a rate That's very similar to, and they're more comfortable, their quality of Mm -hmm. life increases and that creates a window of opportunity to build trust or at least do no more harm around kind of the relationship with food or you know, satiation and all of this. So um, I would suggest really seriously having a conversation. If your child is going to be on the tube for a while longer and they're really struggling with reflux, you're being told to push high volumes, but your child is vomiting Frequently, or they're on a um, a really dense kind of nutrition to start a conversation sooner rather than later with your medical team about just how that would work if you didn't have a tube, if you mm-hmm. made yourself eat a certain amount even though you were having symptoms of reflux, and then feeling awful, <laughs> it, right. it seems counterintuitive.
1: Yeah, one of the thoughts is that nutrition equals development. And that's that's true. That's not untrue. Um, but it's also important to know that stress and anxiety has a negative effect on development as well, on brain growth. And so if you're vomiting all the time and you're uncomfortable all the time, that is a counterbalance. And so it's not just a simple equation. And that's another reason why it's worth going to talk to your doctor and saying, they're uncomfortable. They're vomiting this much every day. What if we decrease a little bit and see if that makes a difference? Can we look at the density of the formula? I just, you know, not to be fearful to start that discussion because that's not comprom- that's not necessarily compromising development in other ways, that there's a lot of things, like we say all the time, there's a lot of things to be balanced. It's not a simple equation. No, it's not. And so,
0: you know, just a little bit of hope, I guess, also to go with all of this, there's room for, just to summarize, like there's room for conversations on all aspects of reflux and the treatment of reflux in kids with tubes. So have those conversations, but also what we see really very consistently, almost universally is that there is totally hope. So don't lose hope if you have a tube-fed kid who you want to become an eater, who's got a ton of reflux symptoms, that doesn't mean they always will. So we hope that's helpful. We'll put a few of these resources in the show notes. And um, we hope if your little one is struggling with reflux that they start feeling better sooner rather than later. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye, Heidi. All right, thanks, Jenny. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week, we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media and Instagram and Facebook. We can be found at Thrive with Spectrum, and on Twitter, you can find us at Thrive with SP. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week.